0: Fighting in Japan and the future of female MMA with pro fighter Caitlyn Young on The Fight Focus. What's up, everybody? Buck Grant here. Just got a chance to talk to Caitlyn Young after her fight, just getting back from Japan. Um, She fought in Ryzen 12, where she defeated King Arena, who was the favorite fighter. And so I got a chance to talk to her right after that. And once again, this is this has been her, her second time on the show. So really enjoy talking to her. And a, a true professional fighter that I admire. We talked about her fight and how it went down. Um, we also spoke about her being the matchmaker or one of the matchmakers for Invicta FC, which is an all-female mixed martial arts organization. We talked about how to quit without quitting, a lesson that her fighter learned in the ring that she shared and shared a story about that. And how to overcome adrenal addiction after retiring from a fight career. And she is 32, 33, about to have a birthday in a couple of weeks, so happy birthday. And getting close to, you know, potentially retiring, three or four years. We talked about how fighters have a hard time dealing with the lack of adrenaline that you get from the ups and downs of fighting and how to deal with that. We spoke of up, upcoming new fighters in um, mixed martial arts, female fighters in mixed martial arts, the new talent that is coming out of Invicta and what MMA is going to look like in the future and female MMA in the future. And people are starting to train younger and younger, so they're getting a lot more well-rounded at an early age. So things are getting really exciting. And she gets a first look at all of that by being a matchmaker in a high-end event. Also, we touched base on uh, this fast-growing sport and why it's growing so fast, particularly as it pertains to women's rights and equal pay and much, much more. This show, as always, is brought to you by BuckGrant.com, my personal website where you can check out any of my retreats, seminars, workshops, and coaches clinics including our Costa Rica retreat coming up here December 1st through the 8th. We still have a couple of spots left for that if you want to come. We're going to be training. I have a special of a guest coming that's going to be helping me out with the self-defense aspect of it. And, of course, you got a vacation. So it's going to be a really good time. Food, beach, great weather, jungle. Check us out. Go to BuckGrant.com and register today. We are also brought to you by www.aperturefightfocus.com where our mission is to shine a light on those who are seeking the truth in the fight world. Go to our page and check out our online library and all of our products. Aperture, Fight Focus, welcome to the renaissance of combat. Without further ado, here is Caitlin Young on The Fight Focus. What's up everybody? Welcome to the Fight Focus. I am here with a returning guest, Caitlin Young, who is fresh off of her victory in Ryzen. Um just took a fight with I guess this was a last minute fight, so to speak. Or did you, you have a planned?
1: I uh I had taken it a little bit in advance. Uh I think it was eight weeks, eight or nine weeks.
0: Oh, okay. So you knew about it. Before, okay. I,
1: knew about it. I, uh, you know, had to, had to wait on a visa and stuff because you need an entertainer visa to fly over there,
0: but. An but entertainer yeah. Entertainer visa. Mm hmm. Oh. Okay. Yeah. World class entertainer now, huh?
1: Apparently, they pulled <laughs> me in the line and <laughs> made me go sit somewhere else when I was coming through immigration.
0: What? Oh my god. Did you, they think you were a terrorist or something? <laughs> I don't
1: know. They made me a nice little seat so they were, you know. They were quite uh, hospitable, but yeah, it was
0: interesting. Oh. Certainly interesting.
1: I hadn't had that happen before entering a country.
0: Yeah, and me either. I, I hope not too. Well, so you, this lady King, is it King Rena? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did that fight come to be? Like, did they contact you or, because um, first of all, I mean, I, we, on our last podcast, we know that we, you fought MMA, but you have been doing more Muay Thai fights um, mm-hmm. For the last few years, but what made you kind of come out to do uh, an MMA fight, and how did this one come to be?
1: Well, I, um, you know, like Kurt Pet and I had talked about um, what he said specifically was I want you to get some belts and then go 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 back and, uh, fight in there MMA. But I'd always kind of wanted to. I don't think I did what I could have done mm-hmm. um, in, in MMA. I don't think I was really fighting in my ability at the end there, and. Um, so i knew i would want to come back eventually i just wasn't sure exactly when and then two weeks before my last week tie fight they had announced that they were doing a 145 tough tryout so i was like well shoot i'm gonna be in shape you know i think uh, the traps were like the 26th and i was fighting on the 12th so i was like well if i'm healthy and unscathed um maybe I'll go down there and I didn't really decide until the last minute. I just was like, well, you know, my cousin lives in Vegas. I'll go hang out with him. So anyway, I went, uh, I thought I did really well at tryouts, but didn't get picked, uh, to move on. Um, which was fine, but that kind of is what lit a fire under me. I was a little, uh, annoyed that I didn't move on. So I, uh, I actually, I reached out to Horizon and said, uh, you know, I'll, fight, I'll come fight your girl if
0: you want. So <laughs> I'll go take her strap. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thing with the the whole reality show because, I mean, if you uh, look at like your accolades and the people that you fought, I mean, you think looking at that alone and be like, oh, yeah, this is definitely the person we want in a division that honestly has one person for Yeah. The I don't quite understand it
1: well you know I think too like maybe they're looking at uh, different personalities you know I think that that's a big part of the television right like not just they're looking for a certain type of personality but maybe how that personality will interact with the rest of the house Um, it looks like you know there are a couple really skilled ladies that are on um, they got that apparently got into the house but uh, for the most part, a lot of them were newer, and oddly, a lot of them were 135s. Like some of the ladies at uh, at that tryout were walking. I mean, walking in the 140s and the low 150s, which you know, uh, the women competing at the top of the 145 division are uh, significantly bigger, probably in the 70s. Yeah. But but at least in the 60s, so um, it's it's interesting. I think probably everybody in that house can
0: make 135. So they're not 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 big on true 45ers. Yeah, that's a. I mean, especially when you're looking at the champ, you know, mm-hmm. being, she's coming down from like one eighty five.
1: Oh yeah, and she's lean too. She's an athletic big.
0: Yeah, you know. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So you, after that show, you you decided to you contacted Ryzen. Mm-hmm. Decided, nice. Okay.
1: Well, and I knew, I knew, you know, as a matchmaker, right, like I knew that uh, at that time they're probably going to be kind of struggling to find 45s, um, you know, that would would be able to come over there because so many would have been taken up by tough and then uh, PFL is starting a 45 division, so um, I, thought, I thought there was a pretty good chance they would need somebody to come fight her.
0: Nice, nice. And she's the, t- she's the champion of that division, of rising.
1: You know, they, it, yes, she's like their top girl, but they don't do uh, – they don't have belts. They okay. do a lot of tournaments and stuff, but she she isn't the title holder, but she's definitely the, uh, you know, the promoted fighter. Oh,
0: uh, okay. Um, and so were you training – so you were getting – you are staying in shape. You were already getting, getting ready to do the, the the tough tryouts. The fight was – was coming up was there anything that you had to do specifically to prepare for her
1: um i well i think on the last podcast we talked about um some of the differences in clinch and the way it's sometimes taught in the states and in thailand and i think that that was quite helpful yeah Uh, and there are a lot of similarities to grappling. You know, I did do more with, uh, we have a, a, a guy at the gym, Jack Wu, who, uh, you know, was giving me some, some nice judo looks like just getting used to, okay, this is how it's going to feel. This is the position she's going for and, and stuff like that. But, uh, but otherwise, um, it was a new experience and that this was the first MMA fight I trained with pet for,
0: um. Mm.
1: Uh, and that, that was great, you know, um, it's slightly different, but not, uh, obviously like we would do grappling, uh, one hellish drill in particular that he likes to do is you do 30 minutes with no break grappling at, uh, somebody good. But as soon as you start catching your breath, he'd make me get up and do like 50 kicks right back into grappling. Yeah, oh. so the other person takes a break while you kick, but it's thirty minutes oh. uh, straight through. But I'll tell you what, like it felt really good. And I was like, oh, I like that drill. I'm keeping that. You know,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, love hate, but yeah, but yeah. So we did some different things, you know, where we maybe would have done that with clinch if it was a tie fight.
0: Mm-hmm. So wow. And so the fight oh, went, did it go the distance? Is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was looking for, I was looking online for bootleg footage of it and I couldn't find anything.
1: Cool. I'll send it to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, yes. I saw one video. There's a guy I think it was on your page. There's a guy that did comment that was talking about your fight. Oh, uh, his
1: reaction. Yeah. Oh, hilarious.
0: So funny. <laughs> it was so funny. The guy's freaking hilarious. And I didn't think, it, like I guess it makes sense because you're going to Japan, but I guess you would have been considered the underdog going into that.
1: Oh, I, I didn't realize either how much of an underdog I was, but um, a friend of our, uh, a friend of the guy that was cornering me, Nick Thompson, put a grand down on it and she made six. It was, I was a six to one underdog. What? Uh-huh. I didn't realize, I mean, I figured, you know, with me being out and that I was on a bit of a slide that, that, that I, you know, and being in Japan, I'd be the underdog. I didn't realize it was that much. I would have put money on
0: myself. Hell yeah, I would have bet. I'm not even much of a better, but I'm like I'd take that back any day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, it, I just from listening to the the unofficial commentating of the guy on, on the internet, <laughs> seems like you pretty much you, you you kept the fight in the range that you wanted to fight in. Um, you were able to get back up when she did. She take you down. You were able to get back up. But,
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, she checked me a, uh, a few times. Really good throws, man. Like there was a, I I was you know framing her face out a lot and there was one point where her head was like it felt like the back of her head was touching her spine and she still hit the throw it was i mean it was really awesome actually
0: yeah
1: uh, but i got a couple nice uh, nice re-rolls on the ground i felt and and when when i did get in a bad position i was able to defend i wasn't ever in danger of being uh, submitted so
0: i felt good nice so, are you are you looking to stay with MMA now? Is that kind of like more of a, a focus, or?
1: Yeah, um, I will fight Muay Thai if it, there's the availability. But part of part of the reason we we also decided to make the jump now is struggling to get matched, at least in America. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of fights in Thailand I really want to have still, um, you know, before I retire. But I'll fit them in when it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I will be. I'll be. Uh, Fighting MMA next. Yeah, and I wish I could talk about the next one. I already have it lined up, but I.
0: Oh yeah. secrecy. I was sensing that there was something <laughs> that you couldn't talk about, yeah. um, oh. which is which is super super exciting. Because I was like, man, I've known Caitlyn for forever. She should have been in a big show by now. Um, and things happen the way they happen. But yeah. But I I have been following your career and 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 I see your style of fighting. You know what I mean? You beat you beat you fought Misha Tate back. In this weird octagon ring, was that right? Am I? Is that, am I, I seeing the? Yeah, wrong it was a ring. It was a hook and shoot.
1: So it was like a. I think that show in particular was like a uh, co-promoted uh, hook and shoot. You remember Bodog?
0: Oh yeah. Fight. Uh huh.
1: Yeah, it was like a co-promoted thing, and it was kind of weird, actually. Like so, Tate and I and Jan Finney and Susie Smith uh, were all one thirty-five. But then the other end of the bracket was 125. So my first two fights were at 135, and the third fight in that tournament was a 125er, which is really totally unfair,
0: actually. It's really but, strange. It's really strange. Mm-hmm. Where was that fight?
1: Uh, Evansville, Indiana. Ah. And I'll tell you, that crowd is great. and uh You know, Jeff Osborne, who is uh, the promoter of hook and shoot, has always been a big proponent of women's MMA. Because it was a tournament, the rounds were shorter, but they were doing five-minute rounds for women, like, way before everyone else was. Um, And Bodog, which he was associated with, were paying women real money way before
0: anyone else was, so Mm.
1: Uh, it was a cool experience to be a part of that before it kind of dissolved, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. But good launching pad for where you're going now and, 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 and the mm-hmm. path you're going. Did you ever fight in the, the. Remember the Bodog fights that were outside in Costa Rica?
1: Yes. And no, I didn't. I would have loved to. But yeah, that was awesome. That's where I. Didn't. Um, I think Amanda Buckner and Tara La Rosa fought. I, was it Costa Rica? It was the first women's MMA fight I ever saw. It was over at. Uh, do you know Ishmael Bentley? I know
0: that name. I know that name.
1: He's a black belt, and he owns uh, M-Theory in Minnesota. Uh, Uh, It's his gym, but he was still at the academy at the time, and we watched it over at his house. I'll never forget it.
0: Yeah. I remember uh, watching fights, and um, the commentator said something like, you know, people were trying to take people down in the ring, but they didn't want to be in the ring where the sun was because the sun was heating up the canvas. So when oh, people ouch. back hit the floor, yeah, they were flying out there. You're
1: like third degree burns on your back. Yeah, or? I
0: was like, man, these people are getting up <laughs> really, sure. really fast. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, because they're, they're burning. They're like literally being fried on the on the canvas there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so um, you, how long do you think you'll you, you'll fight?
1: Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, you know, realistically, I'm, I'm about to be 33 here in September, and I've been competing since I was 14 years old. <laughs>
0: Whoa, yes.
1: Okay. Um, And I still feel good, but if I'm honest, yeah, like, it, realistically, it's probably only going to be, you know, three, four years tops, okay. I think. Uh, not, not in that I want to stop, but just yeah, my body's going to start breaking down. Okay. You know, yeah. twenty twenty years is a long time in in combat sports, which is you know as you know, especially competing that whole time. So,
0: I mean, at that level too. I mean, your body your body must go through so much. I mean, I I'm 42, and I yeah. you know I just came I just went to a mobility camp in Florida. Oh where, cool! Yeah, it was, and there was like guys like Shanji Ribeiro, and um, what is his name? Damn, why is that escaping me? Uh, Lavato Ribeiro, uh, L- uh, Rafael Lovato Jr., who's fighting in Bellator, okay. big black belt dude. Um, yes. Marcio, who was like one of Wanderlei Silva's first like top boxing coaches was there and they were all taking the class, you know what I mean? Like they were training in the side, they'd have us come spar yeah. with them and they were taking it. And, but mobility has been such a big issue with me because I'm like, I want to, even if I'm not fighting, I want to continue to move, you know, when I'm 50, yeah. 60, 70 and my body has an right. average on it. Right.
1: Well, if you're training fighters too, like that, that, that's a lot of demand on your body, you know, as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You coach quite a few people too, though, right? Are you coaching people for fights or are you more focused
1: Yeah, on well, I sort of, I'm like a, I don't know, maybe a team captainish sort of role, like I, um, or assistant coaching. You know, Ryan Murray does a lot of the uh, coaching for a tie boxing team, John Aarons helps out, and then um, I do a lot of cornering and stuff if I don't have something coming up as well but you know we have a really big team so it's kind of needed you know Norrishell has also been helping like we it it takes many hands so we sort of like especially the people who have um, you know a lot more experience on our team we try to uh, you know step in and and help each other out because it does for uh, just Ryan and John they get spread kind of thin especially um, like this weekend we were supposed to have uh, one of the fights fell through, but we were supposed to have a couple people fighting up in Canada and then a couple people fighting in Iowa. And it, it ends up being, you know, you got to kind of pass around being out of town all the
0: time and stuff. So, yeah. um,
1: but I love it. I love uh, being there with my, my teammates. It's so much fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was, you remember at the last interview you and I had, we started talking about something offline. I was like, man, I really wish we would have. Um, talked about it, but fortunately, I was smart enough to take notes. <laughs> and yeah. Oh, really? I did. I was like, you were talking. Oh, yeah. I'm like, let me write this down because we're going to talk about it next time. Because we talked, we were talking about the uh, the adrenal dump after a fight and after a fight yeah. career. You know, the the chasing of that, and um, yeah, how do you deal with it? You know, like how do you personally deal with it? How have you seen other fighters um, successfully deal with it?
1: Uh, you mean uh, when they like when they retire?
0: Yeah, like when they're done, like, I and mean, then you haven't retired yet, but we, I, no, we all but, get it after a fight. But I know
1: it's, it's, it, it is going to happen one day and it's sooner rather than, you know, yeah. than later, right? Um, yeah, I, I, it's a really challenging thing, I think. Um, some fighters deal with it well, but I think we've, seen, we've all seen uh, fighters that stay too long at the party, <laughs> so to speak, you know. Um, and, I, man, I hope somebody says it to me if uh, if I'm starting to look too slow in there. You know, you see it when somebody looks too old. Um, but I think what's hard is um, I read this great book by Roddy Ferguson recently. It's called uh, – what's it called? Enhance or Destroy Your Athletic Career Relationship Lessons for an Elite Athlete. Ooh. And it's really great because he discusses not just what, you know, current fighters need or, or um, you know, he was an Olympic athlete who then, uh, Judo judo guy, who then ended up fighting in Strikeforce, um, but also discusses how, like, sometimes family and friends will have this idea, um, specifically significant others, that when you retire from fighting, you're going to, like, just become this... Uh, I don't want to say normal person, but you're just going to go and do a nine to five and everything's going to be, you know, uh, normal. And I don't think most people who have been in martial arts a long time function well that way, because you get so used to this. It's the anticipation, right? The anticipation of an event, like the build up to a fight, whether it's your own or your students or whatever. And then you know, this big event and then, you know, it cycles again. And I think, um, I think we all need that. Mm. I think if you are somebody who's enjoyed fighting or even coaching. You start to need that. Um, so it's going to find the excitement's going to find itself one way or another. And it's best if you find a productive way to have it. That's why I love matchmaking.
0: Mm. Yeah. You know. You're, still in it. you're still in it. You still have your hands in it
1: right and i think that i think that's uh why i'll enjoy that and and hopefully coaching when i when i retire um it'll keep me uh i guess still being able to enjoy that aspect yeah there's pretty interesting stuff about too about um olympians and you know in particular like say you have a sport like gymnastics where it's not like you can recreationally practice martial arts and stay involved forever Uh, But gymnastics is, I mean you can coach, right, but it's not like people just go do gymnastics on the weekends the way you might go roll on the weekends. And they talk about how bad the depression after the Olympics can be for some athletes because they've had this big build up and it's such a big part of their identity and then the event's done and then what? And I think it can be a really hard transition for people.
0: what do you what do you think people at that level do to to masterfully handle that is coaching enough for them you think or they have to find something a little bit more um adrenalized
1: i don't know that's a good question i think coaching is enough for for some um but i think you know too i think the coaching only does it if you're if the person's really invested in it, because if you don't have that emotional investment, you won't have the emotional highs and lows that that are really what you're looking forward to.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so, you know, I think it varies, but it's something that that we all really need to need to pay attention to because I think it can lead to some really self-destructive behaviors when
0: people retire. Yeah. And Michael Jordan at one point was known for gambling after he got out of. of- course.
1: <laughs> right, and of course he was.
0: Yeah, we, right. I,
1: like we shouldn't even be surprised by that because now what you know he's he's out there dunking on everybody anymore. Yeah, What's yeah. he going to do with
0: himself? Like, what do you do after you're the best? Bas- you're the best at something in the world. Yeah. And now, you just wake up. Where's your excitement going
1: to come from? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Military people experience that like quite a few. Oh, I bet. Were, I bet they do. Yeah, like operators, people, are special forces guys. Well, often, mm-hmm. of course, a lot of them are dealing with PTSD, but um, in conjunction to that, they get kind of addicted to that that lifestyle where you know every yeah. every morning you don't know what the hell's going to happen, you don't know what's going to go on, and then you come back here in this regular world, and then how do mm-hmm. I plug back into that? You know.
1: Oh, that makes perfect sense. I bet that is really difficult for them, um, and you know, probably similarly, maybe even more so in that case. Um, the closeness to their comrades, I'm sure, like it's that's gotta be a really hard thing to mimic. In, I mean, even with family, it's I'm sure it's not the same. You know, it's gotta be a really hard thing to mimic in, uh, in civilian life. Yeah. I mean, close to your teammates in fighting, but I'm sure it's not not anywhere near if somebody's saving you from a shot. Yeah. You know? There, I bet that's that leaves a, a big hole.
0: Yeah. Yeah, how do you relate to normal, like the normal people who have right, never experienced like social life? So high low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hard.
1: Hard.
0: Yeah, and I guess at least that with martial arts, you have gyms that you can plug into. Like even when you retire, yeah, you can always pop by the gym. You can always help out a fighter. You can always kind of plug into people who still get it. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we're really fortunate in that, like, because you can. You can stay a little involved or stay really involved, but it's, uh, it's just a lot more fluid. It seems
0: yeah, for us, yeah. at least, you know, for some of us <laughs> mm-hmm. so We're working on that fluid part. Um, <laughs> well, you started talking about, um, matchmaking it. it am yeah. I hearing this? Right? Are you matchmaking for Invicta now?
1: I am. I've been matchmaking, um, so
0: been, in, been there doing
1: it. for them for a little over two years. Really? So, yeah. Um, man two and a half um and that's been amazing for a lot of reasons um shannon knapp is a really great uh, mentor because i feel like i've learned a lot uh not just for the job of matchmaking but also just things to consider in my own career um in the careers of of my teammates coming up and and uh it's just been cool to kind of see things from all sides and, and learn how to better navigate the fight industry.
0: Shannon Knapp, who is that for everyone out there? Kind she's
1: of the uh, CEO of
0: Invicta. Okay, okay. So
1: she started. Yep, she started uh, the organization, and and she's um just the way she handles things and her her problem solving is really really awesome. She's been awesome to learn from.
0: Mm. What What are some things? Personally, for yourself, that you've picked up from her,
1: um, partly just you know like understanding how, uh, how promoters are are looking at things, how they have to look at things, um, and uh, I would say the biggest thing I picked up from her is just being more conscious. This seems so obvious, right? As everything is in hindsight, but just being more conscious of the long game, not uh, you know. Uh, any decision you're making about your career, how it's going to affect the next six months, but just being more conscious of, you know, what is this going to do in in two or three years? Mm. What is the landscape of the division going to look like in two or three years? And making your decisions based on that um, rather than just a a short-term goal.
0: Mm. I don't think people... Really understand that at the bigger level with organizations. Um, smaller organizations, maybe not, but you know, people look at fight the UFC, for example, and they'll critique, like, well, why is that guy getting this fight and not this other guy? Yeah. But they don't understand that there are people like yourself who are looking at the big thing, going, what's going to paint the best story for this entire division long term, not just what's going to satiate people right now
1: right and there's so much oh my gosh like there's there's so many fighters too so there are totally some shady promoters for sure there are mm. but there's so many fighters too that do ridiculous stuff um no I, I, so it's it's not you know <laughs> it's never as cut and dry as it seems and usually there's you know, if, some, if you look at a situation and you're just like, why would they do that? It doesn't make sense. Almost always, there's a reason in the background. Mm-hmm. Like uh, somebody's injured, and so, like somebody who would maybe be the the really you know deserves that spot or whatever is more in line is maybe injured. Um, she's maybe pregnant. There's maybe some there's maybe some reason that that it can't happen. Uh, that has nothing to do with anybody getting snubbed, but it's something that. They don't want to be discussed publicly. Mm. Um, you know, we really try to protect our privacy when we can. Um, so you know, and, and sometimes that means the promoter is taking heat for something when it's really um, there's there's certainly no ill will, and it's in the best interest of all involved yeah. that it, you know things are going the way they are. And not to mention, there are a lot of fighters who will. Um, Beg for fights online and then turn them down in private. Mm. That happens so much. That happens so much, and I have to sit on my hands not to out them sometimes. <laughs> I'm telling you.
0: I can only imagine. <laughs> so. I can only imagine. I don't, know, I, I don't know why that never crossed my mind that there's a lot of people on public that you know puff their chest, but then when it comes down to signing, oh up, yeah, like, oh, I
1: mean, uh. I just I just want to fight. I'll fight anybody. Blah blah blah. <laughs> okay, we got a fight for you. Oh well, uh, you know, insert excuse a, you know. Yeah. So, um, and sometimes it's unintentional, but it's just, you know, it. it man, if I've learned anything, it is that it, it is rarely what it seems in most
0: situations. Yeah, I can only imagine. What, at certain points in a in a fighter's career, they have to start thinking, okay, is this a good fight for me or not?
1: It, mm-hmm.
0: But what do you think that point is? Because I know in the beginning, when you're just getting fights and experience, like yes, I don't want to put a first-time fighter in there with a 20 fighter person, but yeah. they still need to get in there. What what do you? What is the judgment point on that, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think particularly as amateurs, well, first, this is why it's it's so important to have a coach who cares about you, um, because. Fighters can't be uh, relied upon to make um, – sorry, my dog is asking to come up. Give me one no second. No worries. <laughs> come here.
0: My dog is, is crying in the background. She wants some <laughs> attention. I'll take her right um,
1: away. <laughs> He's right here. Um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, fighters! I don't think um, because they need an ego, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I don't think they can be relied upon to always make decisions in their best interest. Agreed. Um, <laughs> nor should they be, you know. Like, so you sometimes need it because they should want, they should feel like they can beat anybody, and they want to fight anybody. And then, you know, that's why it's important to have a good coach who's paying attention and is like, "All right, let's reel you in a little bit," you know, settle down. Um, but do so in a way that doesn't discourage them. Um, but I think, you know, as amateurs, I, I kind of think they should be taking whatever fights, um, but even still, um, you know, I think it's up to the coach to make sure they don't get too beat down mentally. I think that's something to pay attention to, Um, but as an amateur, yeah. Like just experience all kinds of fights, fight every style you can Um, because there's nothing like experience you know and we look at a guy like Lomachenko, for instance Mm. he's amazing right and he's got incredible athletic gifts but he was like 396 and 1 as an amateur that's why he's amazing I mean amazing (laughs) anyway but it's 400 damn fights that's
0: why you should be good at something by that uh,
1: point (laughs) yeah Um, so I feel like Uh, You know, as amateurs, they should definitely fight a lot. And as pros, um, that's where it gets a little bit more interesting. Um, And even something we try to pay attention to matchmaking is, you know, like, okay, what is their skill level? And then where are they mentally? How much of their skill are they able to access at that time? Um, Because I don't think it helps fighters to always take safe fights and get built. Then I think too much. Because then when they, they run into opposition or somebody with elite-level grit, they crumble. And we've seen that time and time again. If they've had too many easy fights, uh, they really struggle with the hard one. Uh, but at the same time, if you know they lose a couple and they keep getting thrown in with killers, that's not good for them either. So yeah. uh, I think it really depends on the individual. Um, and not, not being too picky, but just taking appropriate fights once they're pro. Yeah.
0: And I guess that's also like going back to what you said, the uh, relationship between the coach and the athlete
1: absolutely. is extremely
0: important because you have to know your fighter in order to know, okay, well, is this good for the, him or not? Or him, is this good mm-hmm. for her or not? Because everyone's going to be yeah, different Yeah, absolutely. Way.
1: And they don't all, I mean, of course, like you're going to lose fights here and there. They don't all need to be wins and certainly don't need to be guaranteed wins. Um, but every fight should be the sort. I think should be the sort, especially early, that helps them grow, helps them develop, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that really it seems uh, makes for the most most skilled pros.
0: Yeah. I think. Yeah, you just reminded me of something. I had a guy um, I coached like, ten years ago. He was a Marine Corps. He was a Navy diver. He was a wrestler. He boxed. He did jujitsu. He, he had the perfect package. He was kind of a,
1: mm-hmm.
0: formerly a heavy set guy, so he didn't look like much, but he beat up every sure. he beat up every guy in my gym, like my heavyweight, yeah. my lightweights, all the pros. Before he was even pro, before he even had a fight, he was beating up everybody in the gym. Yeah. I'm like wow, this guy's good. Okay, so we got him a fight. And we got him some amateur fights, and he went four and zero quick. I mean, didn't get yeah. out of the first round of any fight. And I made a rookie mistake as a coach going like, Shh, we can't find any fights for him. Sure. There's a pro fight coming up in Pennsylvania. Let's take it. Sure. He quickly went 0-3 after that because every fight that didn't finish in the first round, yeah. he didn't have a second round. He had never been in deep water before. And uh, that was an eye-opening experience for me as a coach to go like, okay, well, I probably should have put him in deeper water early to see that yeah, and it, cultivate them a little bit more.
1: Well it's hard too because if they are talented, sometimes that can be really difficult, especially in amateurs, like you said, because you can't can't always build. Like sometimes it's like there's people they're gonna completely outclass and then people that are gonna give them a hard time and and to your point, I think it can be it can be really discouraging in a little bit of a mind game when uh, you, you got an athlete that's been going through everybody like a hot knife through butter, and then they, oh no, what I'm doing isn't working, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how it feels, even if it is working, um, it can be mentally hard for them. Um, so I, I think you're spot on. And I'm sure you would have run into it, um, you know, eventually, it's just, it's a tough thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, because I remember after he went pro, he started to get in a real interest for, for kickboxing. Like He was really starting to like to do the kickboxing and the Thai boxing. Unfortunately, at that point, since he was a pro, he'd have to go fight a pro kickboxing fight and I'm like, oh, he's not …
1: Right. All those guys have 30 fights before they go pro, yeah, yeah. at least.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I would have murdered him more at that point, so it was kind of a like say lesson learned. But that, that's interesting to hear that from someone who's seeing the bird's eye view like yourself from both the amateur and the higher professional level. That makes total sense. Yeah. Is, is it well, be- it's
1: really awesome that you reflect on it, though. I think that's something that um, coaches don't always do. And I'm, I'm sure your, your athletes are going to uh, benefit so much from that because you're growing, too.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Trying to be better. You know, I'm trying to be better at I, I was never I never consider myself the best fighter on the planet. I just mm-hmm. knew that You know, I wanted to fight. I got a lot out of fighting, but I've myself in being a coach, but I'm trying, if that's my craft, I'm trying to get better at that craft and I can, and only way I'm going to be able to do that is look back on it and go, okay, you did that pretty good. And that wasn't, that wasn't great at all. Like, okay, so how can I talk? Can I talk to some people like yourself who have more experience maybe in that level and, and get some insight that can kind of make me a better coach? And if more coaches thought that way, I think we'd have a better crop of people you know but sure
1: no i think there's uh, i think you're totally spot on and even just not necessarily more experienced people but just different experience um you know some there are a whole lot of situations that can happen so you know it's great i'm with you i'd like to i'd like to siphon experience from people who have had more other experiences from for myself, just so you get that insight.
0: Yeah. Are you guys, is, is Invicta officially, I mean, I'm using terms from other sports, but is Invicta sure. officially a farm league for the UFC for for female no. fighters or not?
1: No, not officially. I mean, a lot of our fighters uh, do go there, okay. but um, no, not officially. We have a great relationship with them, obviously, be, both being on the UFC Fight Pass and uh, and we work well together but uh no i think they're just i think when they're coming out of invicta they're just uh ready for that
0: level Mm
1: -hmm. so it's kind of happened organically
0: gotcha okay yeah I, i always wonder like like when you're in the ufc there's like if you're a matchmaker in the ufc the only place to go is ufc champ or out of the UFC, you're getting kicked out, you know, if you're not moving, yeah, with it, right. so you're getting kicked out, right? Wow. But I always wonder wow. what it's like for you, promoters like yourself who, who understand that like most people, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, are using the other organizations as a, as a platform to get to the bigger event
1: mm-hmm. or a
0: bigger organization, so to speak. Yeah. Is yeah. that even still considered that anymore? Or, or are the organizations starting to kind of rival the UFC, in your opinion?
1: Um, I don't know if they rival them. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, some that are, like, we have a great working relationship with them, and then you have others, like Bellator, that are really, uh, separate, um, but, it, and, you know, I'm, I'm primarily paying attention to the women's game, both for myself and the, the athletes I work with, um, but it just isn't, uh, you know that's also a little different in that they tend to promote uh, based on di- they're looking for different things with marketability, and I think um, the women don't always get the same sort of stage. Um, so the, there are a lot of things about the structure that are that are uh, quite different. That I don't think I would call them a, a rival to the UFC.
0: Mm, that makes sense. I guess, mm-hmm. I guess the quality of how the athletes are being treated would also play a factor as far as whether you're moving up or down, right? Like some people, right. from what I hear, left the UFC and went to Bellator, and they're like, "Well, Bellator's treating me better, so sure. this is a better organization for me." that you know, UFC is not a better organization for me because of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, there's different, uh, you know, to your point. Like I think it depends on their goals and and where they are in their career at that moment, uh, what sort of trajectory they're gonna have, and and you know, like, what's what's uh, what's important to them too.
0: Yeah. Are there any uh, any hot prospects coming out of Invicta right now that you're like, okay, pay attention to this person, like the next up and coming, you know? phenom or champion that you can think of that's like going to be making some waves out of industry. Oh way. man,
1: there's so many. So this is, um, I'm going to talk about a whole crop of them because uh, this is interesting and it makes me a little bit happy that I'm going to retire before they're all in their group. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're seeing now is we've, we've signed a, several women, young women lately who have been training since they were young. And we're not talking, like I was in my teens already, we're talking really young, like training as kids. Mm -hmm. You've got Loma Lukbunmi, who's amazing, uh, Thai boxing. She's been fighting professionally since she was eight years old. She's 22 now, you know, and granted it was Thai boxing. Uh, We've got that uh, Erin Blanchfield coming up, who uh, she just won the Eddie Bravo uh, Invitational at like 18 or 19 years old. She's been training forever. Um, Adriana Vukovic is another one who just turned 18 and we signed her out of Croatia. She's been competing since she was young, you know, boxing, all this stuff. I, I mean, like, in the next 10 years, I don't think people are going to be able to uh, come into this sport. Miranda Maverick's another one. She's been competing a super long time. She's, what, 20 now? Mm-hmm. And has been doing jiu forever. Like, a lot of these ladies started so young and they're going to be developing, um, man, like seeing them in, in eight years when they're hitting 28, 29 years old, uh, and getting their full woman's strength. <laughs> it's going to be pretty awesome, I think. Uh, but I think, I think it's going to turn in the sort of sport where you're not, co- you're not going to be able to come in, uh, you know, as a 20 year old and get, get far anymore. They'll, yeah. they'll just be so far ahead of everybody.
0: That must be so exciting to watch, evolution, like the evolution, evolution of a sport that close. You
1: know? Yeah, it, it really is. It's cool.
0: I mean, what other sport is drastically changing that quick? Right. I mean, football's pretty I, uh, much been football for forever. You know, like, I mean, yeah, they've got yeah. better pads, the people getting bigger and all that. But it's still the same game. You throw a ball, you run a ball, you gain 10 yards. But yeah. in May, it's I don't know what it's going to look like five years from now.
1: It's going to look like a video game. I know. I think um, it's really going to be crazy. And I think it helps, you know, MMA in general, but in particular for the women in that, um, you know, people talk about fighter pay not being like other sports, and that's kind of a different argument. The one great thing is that the women and men really get very similar pay and uh, opportunity now. And there isn't another sport like that. There's not one. Mm. Pay is similar. Um, So I think that's part of the reason we're seeing the influx because it's one of the few professional sports that is um, an actual real career path in the way it is for men, for women. Um, So, man, that's just going to make for some really awesome athletes because they can afford to put more into their development.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the fact that a person can literally train full mixed martial arts as young as five, six, seven years old. Yeah. And, and like no one, very few people are going to be able to come in as specialists anymore. Like you can't just come in and, yeah. sure, you're going to have like a propensity towards one thing or the other. But if you just come in as like, oh, I'm a black belt in jujitsu and I'm going to pick up a little bit of boxing to take people to the ground, it's like, eh, good luck at the higher level. Well,
1: I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, when we're looking at... And we're gonna have a whole whole bunch of people really soon that have been ten years in on on grappling and striking. Uh, by the time they're twenty years old, yeah. Yeah,
0: is, I'm with you. That's nuts. Well, that's it'll exciting. be amazing to watch, though. So. Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. I tell people all the time, and I've got a lot of friends that agree with me. Like the most exciting fights in mixed martial arts are female fights, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know what it is. You could probably speak to it more, but they're just they bring something else to the table that, not saying all guys don't, but there's just something. I got you. But yeah, but like, what do you think that thing is? Like, that's my opinion, but I feel like they bring something else to the table.
1: Yeah, you're definitely not the only person that has said that. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I think, uh, I think sometimes there's maybe a little bit more to prove Mm -hmm. uh, subconsciously in in all of us, and that, uh, you know, it's not assumed that you're not that it's assumed that men are fighters, but it's like they're given the status more easily, maybe. Yeah. Um. So I think a lot of female fighters have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, in a good way, about that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's good, and you know, maybe there is something to um the the whole social piece of being encouraged to always be nice and friendly and you know not confrontational and then just let it rip in, in a cage you know
0: I don't know it's a nice I'm not contrast. quite sure
1: but it's a good discussion piece
0: <laughs> yeah I think it's I think it's a it speaks to a lot even outside of cage fighting to have that contrast of expression in a human being you know the, the person mm-hmm. can walk about your every day and deal with the social norms of the world to get by, but then the cage door closes and it's like all those norms go the hell out the window and you can just Yeah. Do what you need to do in order to express yourself in that moment of combat. Something about Well
1: I think Oh sorry, did I cut you off. No, no, I think I uh, think this isn't just a women, this is mine too, and you I'm sure you've noticed this uh, in your teaching, it's interesting how as a person becomes more competent in martial arts fighting too, but I think just even in training, how the way they carry themselves will change so much sometimes. Um, and it's it, it's neat. It's sort of uh, can make people more confident and assertive, and then it'll uh, transfer into their their everyday life. Um, I don't think she'd mind me saying this, but I won't say it by name. There's a woman on our team who um, has recently made some really big leaps in her fighting career. Um, And what's fascinating is it's coincided with her carrying herself very different even when she's not training. Maybe she doesn't realize that she's doing it. Mm -hmm. Even... Um, but it's 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 fascinating, I think. It's a, it's a, certainly a fascinating uh, study of human psychology, I yes. think. <laughs>
0: that uh, She's a fighter with you guys? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I think I know what you're talking about. I think I might know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I doubt. think you do. Yeah, that's, that, that's awesome to hear. Because I've noticed it from a distance, uh-huh. distance. like You can just see when something shifts in someone. And, and yeah. social media can be a really weird window. If you, if oh, you it know, makes
1: sense though, you just get this little slice, right?
0: Yeah, get a yeah. little piece of, of what they want to present that day. But over a period of time, study? I study trends and I just start noticing how people's trends of being online change. And I'm like, oh, sure. something's different. I don't know what, so yeah. what the shift was, but it seems to be for in, in, in your favor. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, what's next for you? What you got coming up?
1: You, um, after after what do you I call care? it,
0: that week? <laughs> what is it, that week?
1: That week. For sure. First. Um So I'm gonna go down to Invicta. Um we got a card coming up September first, pretty excited. Okay. Um we got I can't talk about my next fight yet, so unfortunately, um I can't talk about it. Okay. But um sure. I'll tell you it's gonna be a barn burner, I can tell you that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but then we have, uh, we have a couple guys fighting in Glory in Chicago oh, on September yeah. 14th. So I'm pretty excited about Tom Jenkins. Do you know Tom Jenkins?
0: I, I do now because I was just online and I looked at your page and I saw the Glory oh, okay. thing. I was like, oh yeah, okay.
1: So yeah, he's been at the Academy for, I think close to a decade now, something like that. Um, but he came in, he was like 330 pounds, you know, uh, started fighting, you know, had a a little bit tougher time at first and it's been awesome to watch him like transform. Now he's this killer 185 er you know, he went, he went 19 and four as an amateur. And then, uh, he's now three and one as a pro. Um, and they've all been hard fights and all of his wins have been finishes. It's awesome. Um, so he's making his glory debut. And then Troy Jones Jr., is, has been uh, killing it. Lately, he's fought in Friday Night Fights, and he had his glory debut back this spring, and he's on the last card I was on, but he's gonna be in a four-man tournament. Um, first round, he's got Casey Green uh, on the same show. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's my birthday weekend. I'm just gonna eat pizza and
0: Hell cheer yeah. those guys on. Hell yeah, that's, that's the 14th? Yep. That's your weekend? That's your birthday weekend? Yep. The oh. 15th.
1: So that'll be fun. And then then after that I'll be getting right back into camp because uh, uh,
0: I'll be fighting this fall still. So. So. Well, happy early birthday. I'm sure I'll talk to well, you thanks. about at that point. Um, and I'm glad to get a chance to talk to you before your birthday, <laughs> birthday hit up. <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah. There's, man, there were so many other questions I wanted to ask you. Um, Maybe we can save that go for another for time. Yeah, why not? Sure, why not? Well, it's like my mic podcast and go as long as I want. Oh, <laughs> the the so I personally just to kind of frame this. Yeah, I've been st- I'm studying a lot of just human movement, Um sure. and particularly of course martial arts for m- most of my life, and then yeah. a bit and bit into like yoga and dance and things like that. And I was always intrigued with the relation between dance and martial arts, and especially like you know Muay Thai, right? Like the the Ramoy. And um, I wanted to hear your, your your opinion and speak to that, like uh, the importance of it, the relationship to the, the the dance. Maybe people who haven't heard of Thai boxing, which I mean, unless you live under a rock, you haven't heard. You know, you know what Thai boxing right, is. Right. Uh, may but, not know about the yeah. Scene.
1: Well, I probably don't know about that stuff, right?
0: Well, not anymore because it's not like it happens a whole lot in the United States, right? <laughs> you know, people get in okay. there, bow, and maybe steal the ring off, and then they fight. But um, I just feel like there's some type of relate, some type of relation or correlation to dance and fighting, grace, mm-hmm. and, um, and and for someone who's fought there and done it, I would like to get your insight on it and, and what would you think about it important things. I think you know what's interesting I think it's
1: uh, um you know obviously there's the whole rhythm thing right Sure. that, that relationship um, but has said that uh, in Thai boxing over there they watch you right between rounds to see how you're breathing and what your composure is like so I think you know, it's maybe even thinking of your fight as a performance in the same way that that a, a dance would be in that you're you're performing because we all are, right? You're performing uh, strength and invincibility and all these things. Like how many of us have been hurt in a fight and you sort of perform <laughs> this act that you're not? Yes. <laughs> Or that you're, <laughs> yes. or that you're, you know, dominant when you maybe are feeling a little shaken, or um, so I think in that sense, it's like it's a continued performance, both are a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're still trying to convey your, um, I don't want to say your movements, but your. You're fighting this person, you're trying to break them down and win, but, but you're also performing in the same way that you would with a dance, I guess.
0: Yeah. I that that's something about that click because most people only look at the fight as being those 2 to 3 minutes or 5 minutes that the bell's uh-huh. on, but they don't think about what's happening in between that it's a continuous right. transition from beginning to end. All of it's part of the fight.
1: Mm
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. Well, you say right, like when, uh, especially if your fighter's in a close fight, what are you telling to do? Like right after you walk around with your hands up,
0: raise your hand, right? Yeah, yeah. Sway the judges, win the crowd. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, we're all social
0: creatures, Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, so I think you know you can influence other people's opinions with the way you perform and carry yourself. So maybe you know, maybe there maybe there's a relationship there. With dancing and uh, fighting,
0: yeah, there's something about having a, a certain sense of grace under pressure that's intriguing to to people because it's so it's so lacking in most people, and when people can do it, we we tend to highlight those people, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. And we want to emulate it to some degree. We want pieces of that in our in our our life. So I guess it makes yeah. sense that. You know, if a person can come out and literally do a dance right before they go fight.
1: <laughs> right.
0: That, that says a lot about the person that they can be grateful. Right, and about, they right?
1: look like they're having fun while they're doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. never thought of it that way.
1: It is. Some people have like a, such an amazing one, too. It's pretty cool to watch.
0: Yeah. Like, do you still perform it? Are you, have you had to in a while I guess fighting in the states do you do it as much or?
1: no like a lot of time they're rushing through too because um, our shows have been big and even in Thailand uh, depends where you fight if you do it or not you know um, but it's it's neat I love I love seeing like the different uh, variations mm. for people who are listening a fun person to watch in, in uh, do you remember Jordan Coe, that poor kid who, who passed away doing a uh, weight cut? Yeah. In Thailand. Uh huh. Okay, check out his Y crew. It was very very fun to watch. Jordan,
0: Ko. Jordan Ko, yeah. okay.
1: Coe. Jordan Coe, yep. C-O-E.
0: Okay. Uh-huh. yeah, C O E. C O E. Uh huh. Yeah, he had he has a pretty
1: pretty. He was just so like into it, you know. Um, it, it kind of captured the kid's spirit. I think I didn't know him personally,
0: but uh-huh. but uh.
1: I remember seeing it like in some of the tributes. I was like, "That's really neat."
0: So I'll put that in the show notes because I'll check it out. Sure. Yeah. And so, like in, in in Thailand, I you know, it's understood that every camp has their own version of it. One question I've always wanted to ask, I asked um, Greg Nelson before. And I'm still looking for an answer. Difference between the Ramway and the y crew uh, Some people use it interchangeably. Other people say one part is the standing portion, the other is the kneeling portion. Did you have a, okay. an understanding of which is which, or is it just kind of a? Yeah, yeah, kind of
1: like, I, uh, I understand. Like the, um, the dance part to be the dance, but when you're when you're actually uh, bowing to your corner or your coach, to be the the y crew. Okay. Okay. As I understand it, but. But they are, you know, together. Yeah, they're all part of the. Like, yeah, always would my crew, but sometimes remotely.
0: Ah, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So, no matter what, like you're still paying homage to your teacher. Right, as
1: I understand, you know, that's why you do like the three bows and and whatnot.
0: And every camp has their own, but then even within the camp, depending on the experience of the fighter, there's there's added things to it from what I've seen.
1: Yeah, like, sometimes they'll do different stuff. Um, You know, depending on where you are in Thailand, like, they move camps a lot, too, so they might use the Y crew from their original gym. Oh. Um, You know, like, because the kids will, you know, they start, a lot often, they start in a song, and they fight, fight, fight. Because, like, it's, you know, it's turned into kind of like a foreigner thing that you like you just go over and fight in Bangkok for them um I was talking to about this last time he was here it takes a long time before before they get uh invited to fight in Bangkok like if you get asked to fight in Amnoi Stadium like wow you've done a lot of work and you've won and looked really good in on for a long time um Cause he didn't, he started fighting when he was 10 or 11 and didn't get invited to Bangkok until he was, I think 14, 15. Oh,
0: wow. A
1: lot of fights during that time. Um. But, uh, but in any case, so he started training with his dad, you know, originally, and then was at this other gym in Mahasarikam and then went to Dedrat. So he, I believe uses his Petrashapat. uh That's why he uses that last name. That was his, uh, the second gym he was at.
0: Mm. And, he uses that Y crew, and the camps don't have an issue with that. No. no, as I
1: understand it, no, it's it's not a problem.
0: Wow. Huh. Yeah, I'm 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 constantly trying to you know learn more about it. I've been doing it for a little over twenty years, but it's it's hard to get direct translation of what something is, like, right? When you're talking to it's the hard to,
1: like I think. I, I'm with you. I feel like I'm still learning a lot of this because it's hard to, sometimes it's really hard to understand things without understanding like the underlying cultural stuff. But in some of it's stuff that's just based off of collectivist culture, which Thai is and we're so individualist. So it's, it's like even hard to comprehend sometimes uh, for that reason, for, for myself anyway. So it's it's been really nice, like especially with Corn Pets English keeps getting better. Like we've been able to discuss more in-depth concepts and stuff, which is really awesome. So like, often I'm like, okay, why this, <laughs> why do you guys do it this way? Um, or you know, why does this often happen? Stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's gotta be a really fascinating relationship that you have. Yeah. With him.
1: It is. It's really, it's really been, um, like just cool being able to learn from him apart from the Thai boxing, but just, uh, understanding more about, about Thai culture. Um, and I think part of the reason there's not so much attachment with the, you know, being from a specific gym is they get traded. Their contracts can get traded and bought. Uh, like when they say my manager, like the literal translation is my owner because somebody can buy your contract. And then, um, it can, actually sounds kind of oppressive to be honest.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and people getting blacklisted because their owner does something and then they have a hard time getting fights. Like, uh, you know, I know there's a lot, a lot of issues with our current system here, but um, it, it is a lot better, I think, for the fighters.
0: <laughs> yeah. You put it in perspective, right? Like, right. if you really put it in perspective, we have a we have this tendency to kind of sensationalize um, other Cultures, and oh, everything. Yeah. Oh my God! Like, top it's thing. a
1: weird like Orientalism sometimes. I think. Yeah, actually. <laughs> it's that. Yeah.
0: It's that. Yoga, Yoga, same thing. Yoga communities. Oh worst. sure, of course. Walking around. Um, I remember someone saying like, uh, the whole Namaste thing. For example, uh, uh-huh. it's like in India, it's like Namaste would be something you would kind of say to you know an elder, you know someone's sure. older. But we've turned it into like this, like holistic sacred word that means the light in me yeah. honors the light in you, and it's like they they laugh at it, they kind of giggle like that. Of oh, course yeah, they do. Sure. That
1: makes perfect sense.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, that's that, that, that's cute. But we appropriate so many different cultures, and always wow. makes me wonder like, what is it about like the? I don't know if it's just America, but this is the human condition where we you know, we go into something like Thai boxing and then we get immersed in that culture and we start saying the things that they say without even really understanding it. But something about that makes us feel like we're a part of something. Yeah.
1: Oh, I think you're totally spot on. And I think this probably happens with yoga and other things too. I'm just not close enough to see it. Um, But I think there's this weird uh, thing with Thai boxing where it's like, my tie boxing is more authentic than your tie boxing, you know. It and uh, it's just silliness, really. I mean, <laughs> does it work? Uh, the reason they do things the way they do is not because they're trying to be this perfect. It's because it's the best way to bludgeon somebody else with your body, you know. Uh, so that <laughs> you know, uh, and I think uh, it's been my experience with. Thai trainers, anyway, that, uh, if there's a better way to do something, they'll quickly adopt that. Uh, they're not, they're not even as hung up about things being authentic as they are, uh, as, uh, some, some people in the Thai boxing community here.
0: So fascinating. I don't know. No that's, on it anyway. no, that's, that's fascinating. And it's good to hear, um, I was talking to, um, Mauricio, the, uh, guy was – was, when I was in Florida, he's one of the coaches of uh, – he was a former shoot the box coach.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And like I said, he coached Vondale Silva when he was like a kid and Anderson Silva and all the Silvas <laughs> of yeah. shoot box uh, Shogun and all those guys. And he was teaching a cl- class and he, they kind of called it like Thai boxing. But I was Uh looking at it and I was like, man, this doesn't look like any Thai boxing I've ever done. But I had a discussion with them. He was like, look, I've been coaching for 30 years, 20 years, whatever. And I've been coaching at a high level and not just Thai boxing in Thailand, but with fighting the Dutch, fighting Europeans, fighting in a cage, fighting in big surfaces. And it's like your Thai boxing has to change based on the environment in front of you. So it's going to look different based upon your goal. And totally. I was like, yeah. well, if that makes that makes total sense. It's like so mm-hmm. to say something is like, Well, why would I train traditional type traditional type boxing? That's like saying, like, I'm gonna go drive a traditional car. I'm gonna go get a Model T Ford and drive uh-huh. around with a car that I gotta wind up just because it's classic. Yep. Or do I get a car that actually will drive more than fifteen miles an hour? <laughs> you know?
1: Right. Well that's you're right, it's so interesting. Like there are certain things that that makes sense but if you understand the why uh, the reason behind it like uh, for instance um, you know having elbows and clinch versus not for K1 even people who are really good tie boxers are going to change their style a little bit for that it's not that tie boxing doesn't work for it but again it's going to look different because the rules of our game are different you know, the scoring is different. So, um, you know, I think I think with all of martial arts, our primary goal is, is it functional? Does it work for our goal?
0: Yeah. And
1: I'm with you. That's what that's what we need to be looking at as coaches or uh, athletes alike.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Cool. Well, that, that was most of my question. I'm sure something will pop up, which just means I got to pop you back. <laughs> sure. The floor. We can
1: we chat again sometime? <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. <laughs> What
1: when are you up here again? Any chance? Uh, not
0: sure, not yet. sure I haven't, yet. I've got to talk to Todd and see when he's okay. um, doing another course. Otherwise, I might just go up there just to kind of train and hang out. <laughs> sure, <laughs> Let's take a yeah, be yeah, good to see you. you guys. Yeah, it'd be good. Um, I'd I'd love to get a chance to come come hang out and actually uh, catch you in between fight weeks, which actually won't be for a while because. After <laughs> yeah, flips. unless you
1: come up the next month or so.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll buy you a salad when I see you I'll <laughs> get you some, get you some, some fight food. Uh, well, this has been this has been really, really cool. I'm so glad it, um, to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing the information you had and whatever that thing is that's about to happen that you can't talk about yet, hmm. good hunting on that because I'm sure… Oh, you thank be you so awesome. much. Yeah, and i I'm, I'm be, be be rooting for you as always. Thanks, I
1: appreciate it. This was super fun. Nice to
0: talk to you again. Cool, guys. Well, everybody, just remember, um, you are a fighter the day you decide to become one. And today might be that day. Stay focused, everyone. Have a good day. That was another great episode of the Fight Focus. I hope you all learned as much from that as I did. For show notes and links, visit us on the web at www.thefightfocus.libson.com. You can now also check us out on iTunes and Spotify. Just search The Fight Focus. Please like, subscribe, and share the page. Um, you sharing our podcast means the world to us. It allows us to get our word out and share what we find valuable, and hopefully you find valuable, too. Take care, everyone. Stay focused.